Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. So we are going to start at the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, with the very first word of Torah. And there's a lovely Midrashic tradition where all of the letters of the alphabet fight to be the letter that begins the Torah. And there's this lovely Midrashic playful exposition of why it is that Bet got to start the Torah. There's a mystical tradition around why Bet starts the Torah, which we'll talk about. Bereshit bara Elohim et ha-shamayim ve'et ha'aretz. We begin with someone who would like to read the English. When God was about to create heaven and earth, the earth was a chaos, unformed, and on the chaotic water's face there was darkness. Then God's spirit glided over the, wa- the face of the water, the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And when God saw how good the light was, God divided the light from the darkness. God then called the light day and called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Oh, lovely. All right. We already got stuff to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. I hope. All right, Breshit. So this is a construct form, this word Breshit, which means, so we know it's about, right, we, whenever we see Rosh, Right, we know this business of kind of beginning, head, right, that kind of stuff. So we know it's about beginning. So the arguments then, through our tradition, come about what else you put here, right? So the the bet usually tells us what. Bu is in. Okay. So bereshi. Uh, in beginning, now here's where the arguments start, right? The first word. First word, we're Jews, right? So the, everyone agrees, b and resh, berosh, like in, in beginning, everybody agrees to that. The problem is this is a construct form. Reshit is always followed by something. So reshit ke'ulatecha. The first flowering, you hear it called, of our redemption, of your redemption, right? It's beginning of redemption. So it's the start of something. So it should be in the beginning of. And now we should get a word to tell us what we're talking about being in the beginning of. So the argument comes about this word of and what. Bereshit designates if the next word is bara. Past tense. What's bara? So this doesn't make any sense, does it? Right? In, in beginning of God created doesn't make any sense grammatically. So, so what, what would you argue? You'd argue... It's the beginning of the creating that was done. Okay. 
So there are implications, then, says Rashi, for what follows. The implications of if this is the beginning of the creatingness, then then whatever happens next, it's going to go in sequential order, right? If this is the beginning, then things have to come after that in order. But there's a problem with that. And Rashi says, you should be embarrassed if that's what you think, that this is describing the beginning and then what happens after that. That's just silly. Because we have a problem, if you want to take that explanation, because what do we see? We've got tohu vavohu, right? And unformed, like the earth is chaos, unformed, right? Tohu vavohu, we don't know what that is because it's primordial. It's before everything. So what do you call it before everything? Tohu vavohu, okay. So everything was tohu vavohu, the cosmic soup, if you will, that, you know, whatever precedes creation, but we have something else there, don't we? We have water. So Rashi says it cannot possibly be that this means in the big this is the very beginning of creation and it's going to go in a linear fashion because we have water and we did not hear that it was created. So that can't be it. You also have God. Well, we have God, but Rashi doesn't have to explain that God is there. Right, that, that presumably that's that kind of what the, the whole. God is independent of the universe. Sure, so that that's that's the point of this story, right? That we're going to get to. The whole point of this is that only God precedes creation, but you have a problem that water wasn't created. It says everyone knows that's a problem. <laughs> the question is, what's your answer? The solution to that problem for Rashi is that this is not supposed to be linear. This is talking about. You know, kind of in that whole beginningness, here's some of the stuff that happened. Not all of it, because we don't get the creation of the waters or of darkness, by the way. Right. So you could just say, okay, darkness is the absence of light. And so it existed. Okay. But some people want to say, wait a minute. Choshech is its own thing. Right. What does it mean to say there's darkness if there was never light? Right. You know, like. So some people want to say you have to both the waters and darkness are already there. That's a problem. Um, and other people want to say, nah, it right? No, it's not a problem. So if it's not a problem, how do you how do you answer that this is what's there and didn't get created? Anybody? You said that the meaning of the Hebrew word was created in the beginning of the created, which means that it is in the middle of the whole process. So some things could have already been created. Before the, before the light. So the waters could have been there and the darkness could have been there. That was part of the creation. But it's, we're stepping into the middle of the process of being. Okay, so this is how the commentators who want to argue with Rashi, that's where they go. Right? Because it's, it's in the beginning of what, you, what you're going to use the word created, then possibly there was, it's not linear, there's, there's created, you know, that's already happened over here. And that was water and darkness, right? So the problem there is what Richard brought up. If you go there, then you have to say, well, did, did someone create God? If there are things that precede this, and God is the only thing that in our religious tradition, right, everybody agrees, only God created the world. Everyone agrees. <laughs> There's very few things all Jews agree on, right? But that's one, is that only God created the world. So if that's true, if you put, if you posit something else happening before what we're seeing, right, it can, can get tricky around 
Well, then did something else create God too? And, and if we if we accept that only God created the world, then the issue I think between Rashi and other commentators is: Can God create from nothing, or can or can God only form from some primordial tohu? I think the actual question there for the commentators is, does this mean creation mayain from nothing or not? Mm-hmm. They argue about that. I, they don't argue can, God forbid. Right. Right. Okay. They, yeah, they I, do not argue, yeah. can God do that? God forbid. We should argue that, right? Of course God can do that if God wants. God can do anything. So, but it's a, but they do have an argument about is ex nihilo right the point like is that important and is that what it is being said here is it yesh me'ayin we have creation from nothing or it or things being formed but we get the word bara and a lot of most commentators lean into bara means and I'm not saying we have to agree with them they say by definition it means ex nihilo everything else is yotzer mm-hmm. right you fashion if you take another material you form it, you fashion it, you shape it, you do all those things. If you create, it's yesh ma'ayin, right? It's right. it's so from man, nothing. So man, man was formed. Man was not poof. There's a man. Correct. Okay. Man was formed, and then something else happens when man is when Earthling is animated. Right. Sarah. Maybe they were thinking about both darkness and water. As part of the mishmash. Yes, I think clearly we can all rest comfortably that possibly water and darkness are part of the definition of tohu vavohu. It goes a little to what Richard's saying that well, then there's something already there. God doesn't create out of nothing. God creates using tohu vavohu. Right, but if there's, yeah, right. So Sarah's like, so what's the problem, right? Like, so for some people, that's a problem. They they need it to be. There was nothing at all before this moment when there was something. It bothers them that there's something here before that. I'm with you. I'm fine knowing that tohu vavo includes apparently the deep, right, and darkness. I'm, I'm cool with that. What we have to remember is that we are dealing with also. Um, cosmology from the ancient Near East. And there are cosmology narratives all over the ancient Near East, right? So we, we always remember in this class, right, we always remember together that this doesn't come ex nihilo, it doesn't come out of nothing, right? This is a response in some ways to, you know, thousands of years of humans telling the story about origins. So what is the, what is the story in the neighborhood? Do we remember anything about that? It's, gonna, it's going to the point about the deep. But that comes later. Ancient Near Eastern cosmology. How did the universe come into being? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The Mesopotamians believed in, like, two primary gods, I think, that there was, like, a god of the deep and a god of the sun. So there's always the goddess. There's always the creatrix. Always. There has to be. You can't have pregnancy 
and the birth of something without the feminine. You just, well, <laughs> ancient Israel did, <laughs> right? But that was a big move. That was a big move. This is the victory of patriarchy over the, right, the creatrix. But it doesn't go well for her. And it's not that those stories were pretty by any stretch of the imagination. Because we have the goddess Tiamat in one of our ancient Near Eastern stories who gets cut in half by her progeny, right, another god. She gets cut in half. Half of her body is the, any guesses? Sky? Yes. <laughs> and half of her body is the earth. What is the deep in Hebrew? Look, 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 look. It's an open book test. To home. Right? The Ruach Adonai merechefet al hamayim, and the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. Vechoshech al tehom. And darkness over the deep. We have a remnant here of this story. Tehom is there because Tiamat, of course, you know, like it, it's a, most likely a remnant from this story that she's there. But but the patriarchy has completely obliterated, right? The any God forbid reference to. Right, um, that the the feminine creatress. Okay. So then, what happens? God's ruach is merachefeting, right, on the face of the waters. Merachefet is to have you. We have a lot of hummingbirds by us. Have you seen a hummingbird when it's yeah. still? It's not very long that it does that, but when it's feeding and it's still, that's merachefet fluttering but with the sense of hovering but that's like with activity right it's hovering but not like I mean to hover you, you have to have the people who are writing this live in the world where if you're hovering you have to have movement right so there's a sense of of vibration and something happening as that spirit hovers right it says here gliding which is an awful translation horrible yeah. Horrible translation. Sorry to, to the people who translate. Um, right. All right. Uh, so then that's what's happening at the moment that God does what? God speaks. speaks. So the first thing we have involved, as far as we know, in bara, in this business of creating, is speech. Vaihior. God speaks, and we take this for granted, right? But if you were writing this story, you don't have to say speak, right? It could have been God does this, right? And the world comes into, like, we take it for granted that it says God spoke. But if you think about it, if we go back and undo all of our enculturated references and understandings of this story, if you blow that up and say you're seeing this for the first time, we could ask the question, why speech? It's kind of weird if you think about it. Why would God talk and then things, like if you come into the world 
that these people who wrote this came into, you don't, I wouldn't think of creating as speech. God took God's hands, took the waters and the darkness and manipulated them on God's great wheel. You know what I mean? Like, God snapped God's face. I don't know. I just, I would not come up with Vayahi Or as the moment everything happens, falls into place. Yes, that would have been a perfect choice. I went to very complicated ones. That's a very simple one. God acted. But we don't have that. Right. We. That's what I'm saying. That's good. Like that, Right. I would go to God acted. God did something. I would not say God talked. If you're linking it to what the peoples were observing in their world at that point in time, could you then sort of connect it to when a baby is born and the first cry and that is born and created? But that's not what created the infant. Right. That's the first thing the infant does so that the earthling speaks right away makes sense to me, right? Because that is the world that we live in. We make a noise as soon as we're here. How did the infant get there inside the womb? Not from speaking, I can tell you that. (laughs) According to our story, the earth was formed. It tells me the power of speech and that worlds are formed or destroyed by speech. And since we're the only species that can speak a language, it gives you pause how we use our voice. So speech creates and destroys worlds. This is where we're going to go at the end with our commentary. Um, right? That is absolutely, I think, a fundamental piece of the message, George. It's also much more magical. So are you saying magical in terms of poetic or are you saying magical in like magic magic? Magic magic. Well, how about a magic wand? You think that's less magical? Yes, because you have to have something. Uh, Ah, so what about snapping my fingers? That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's acceptable. What about wishing? No. No, that's not magical. I can't wish it and it happens and that's... Yeah, but it has to be public. Ah, so it has to be perceptible. Yes. Even though there's nobody there to perceive it. It has to be outside of me in some way? Okay, good. So George is setting up the the definition of what's going to be a good enough story, right, for the beginning. This is, you know, this is something written by people. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a universal human experience that the only way that you can get anything done in terms of affecting your relationship with the world is through speech. You, ha- you, you can't get anything done without asking for it, demanding it, crying for it, whatever. So, so speech is kind of fundamental in enacting your will upon the world. For humans. For, for humans. I can imagine writing the story where that's what we do, but God would do something completely different. But would it be... But, but wouldn't it be almost incomprehensible to a human to think that that a, another being would be able to, if, if we have to go around speaking in order to affect the world, how could another, how could any other being do other than speak? Because it's God. 
But you could, you could, I could argue, from your point, I could argue against your interpretation, right? right? To say, Dafka, because the only way we human beings get anything done in the world is to use words. Dafka, God doesn't have to do that. God blinked and the world came into being. God snapped God's fingers and the world came, because it's God, right? So I could argue that would be a better story than this. I think, to Pam's point, they stay with words as the way creation comes into existence to impart a message that, 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 that it is that serious. Speaking is that serious. It's, it's about the power of words that we have and that we share with our vision of God. So right away, he or she or it I like it. us that uh, we can communicate. Right. And that and we're going to see Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is going to tell us this goes further than that to say you must communicate because we are supposed to live in imitatio dei, in imitation of the divine. And if we're to live, right, we're, we're created, but Selim Elohim we're going to see. So if we are created in the image of the divine and God speaks things into being, then so must you. You must be generative and creative with words just as God is. Hey, don't we know that mankind was created later, but isn't the implication of God said that there was someone who listened? So isn't the timing wrong? In other words, wouldn't, if you were writing this, you were writing this, wouldn't you have God acted but not spoke until there was mankind? So, there to listen. right, well, clearly it doesn't matter. To, to the authors, it doesn't matter. There's no one there to hear because God is not issuing a command to anyone. God, so that that goes back to the question of why use speech? If if no one's there to listen, why use speech? It does. It seems to make no sense. But I think again, the part of the point of choosing speech as the mechanism is to say speech actually has the power to create. It's not just who's listening. To go do something. It's speech itself has power. Remember all the times we're going to see blessings and curses? Once I unleash those words into the universe, it has power now. And and things happen as a result of me having released those words into the world. Okay? Yeah, I was just going to say that. Like, it doesn't matter if anyone's there to listen because when you speak it, you create it. It's there. And then you can come back around and see what happened, even if you weren't listening. Right. And we're going to get the creation of, of the earthling. We are. Because God doesn't have, it doesn't seem an interest in being alone in this creation business. Right? It, it doesn't go so well for God. But but God isn't interested in being alone with this creation. God wants someone to listen. Right? Someone to be in relationship to. So, so let's go see what, what goes on with that. So vaihi or. There's or. There's Light. And God sees, and I don't like this translation, how good the light was. It's, I, I would say Kitov is God saw that the light was good. It's, it's a moment of discernment on God's part that light is Tov. Light is good. Alright, so we've got, what, so what's the second part of creating? We got speech, now what do we got? Vayar. Seeing. Seeing. 
But it's not a seeing like, oh, look, there's a squirrel. Perceiving. Excellent. How do you spell that? C. E. I. Thank you. Um, perceiving, right? So God sees, and it's not using the word for understand, you know, when we use that, but, but it's that same sense, right, of seeing in the sense of, oh, I see. Doesn't mean I see. It means I understand. So God understands something about the nature of light here and calls it tov. Right? Good. All right. So perceiving the good, maybe? I don't know. But perceiving something about that quality business. And when God, God sees that the light is good, and then what happens? Ah. S-E-P-A? Separates. I don't want to say division. Vayavdel. What's Vayavdel? How do we translate Vayavdel? Distinguish. Good. I like that. I'd already started writing an F, though. Differentiates. (laughs) Right? So, yes. Distinct makes a distinction between, differentiates between, vayavdel. So this is one of my favorite speeches. This is one of my favorite sermons right here. The world stands on differentiation, on distinction, on difference, on things not being the same. The world depends on difference. And we know, we know that. All of us in this room know the word biodiversity. Right. Every single one of us knows that word. Why? Not because we were science majors. Right. It's because biodiversity is now threatening to go away. And if that happens, we will be back at tohu vavohu. Right. Or at least a planet devoid of human life. We, we will go backwards to something that does not support life of all kinds flourishing if there's no differences and distinctions. And I think it is just as important that we say that in the non-material realm, right? If there are not different perspectives and different ways of seeing the world and experiencing this creation business, it is doomed. All you have to do is look at Nazi Germany or pick another one, right? Where there's no challenge to the ruling perception. So this is a major, major wonderful thing that Vyavdale separating, differentiating is how the world comes out of chaos. We tend to think of it these days of difference is what causes chaos. It's not true. It's not true. It doesn't have to be true. God then does what? Ah. So the next component seems to be something about? That's dead. Uh, Naming, yes? Designating something as something. Identifying something as something. Alright, here, so here are, here are the steps. And this happens every day. Right? Of creation. The same thing's gonna happen every day. But we get here, God calls the light day, calls the darkness night, there was evening, and there was morning. Yom Echad. Rita? What is the why? What am I going to point out that echad is a weird word to use here? 
That means day one, really, not the first day. Exactly. It does not say Yom Rishon, which would take us back to our beginning word. It doesn't say the first day. It says a day, one day. So here comes Rashi's proof that Bereshi doesn't mean the very beginning. doesn't have to mean the very beginning of creation. It's We're now just in a different stage of it, which is when day is being created, a day. And now we're going to get, the next time we're going to get, right, Yom Sheni, the second day. But it doesn't mean there was nothing before, created before this day. It's just day is being created. We didn't, didn't talk about what happened before or was created. Light, day. Yes? All right. It has to be day one because we, we don't know if there's going to be a second day yet. So okay. The first day, it's not a correct translation. Well, you could. You could say Yom Rishon, the first day, and then there's going to be a second day. But it doesn't say that. It says Yom Echad. Mm-hmm. So one day. Well, but presumably we tell stories looking back. So it would be natural to assume after that day there's another. Okay. 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 Fine. Fine. So wouldn't, wouldn't Rashi's wouldn't Rashi's argument essentially be that uh, to put it in a say more scientific way that. Okay, God declares that a day is 24 hours. In other words, this is a day. I think Rashi would say we just haven't had day before this. Right. Because there's been no light and dark. And light and dark is what defines the day. So until there's or, it's pointless to talk about days and maybe pointless to talk about what went on. I don't know. Um, but what? tell me the problem. What's the issue and the challenge we have here with this? We have a big problem here. A really big problem. Yeah. With what just happened? We got light and we got dark and we got a day. What's the problem? Oh, there's no sun. Oh, Oh, interesting. So. I assume when God created light, He created the sun. Ah, you assumed that, right? Because that would be a natural assumption. Because all the light that we see is from the sun, even at night. Then what is this? This, we're going to get the creation of the sun. So you can't say, oh, well, it was already there. We, we get the sun and moon created. Ah, but you can't do that if you're going to engage seriously with the text, right? You've got to, we got, oh, there you go. We got to deal with an order problem. The tradition has to deal with an order problem. How, any ideas how the tradition deals with this? Stars. Nope. Stars were light. No. Nope. Cause they, no. They get created. Come on, you're rabbis. You're the sages. What do you do with this? If it's not the sun, what does or mean? What does light mean here? Of course. Has to be. It's the light of God. But that didn't happen but that didn't exist. A second because it says I he or let there be, and then there was. It gets created. Or it gets created. Or Zaru No, okay. So, or Zaru Alatadik. A light will be set aside for the righteous. So this light is a different kind of light. It's not the light that we see. It is a primordial light. 
that is going to light the tzaddikim, is going to light the righteous, right? So it's, it's a heavenly light that we don't perceive. And there's a beautiful midrash that I love that God in the morning, because there's no morning yet, but that's okay. It's midrash. God, well, maybe it doesn't say in the morning. God opens God's talit and puts on God's talit. And that is the light that is uh, created. Is there a connection at all? Do the mystics try to make a connection between the light that would have emerged when the ten vessels shattered? In the sense that, you know, God God tries to God tries to uh, um, or he transfers some of his essence into vessels. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. The answer is the answer is I don't know. Okay. I don't know if they tie that to this ore. I, I think I think all of it is about ore for them, you know. And so I, I'm not going to say it's unrelated. It, of course, it's related. I, but I'm I'm not. I don't know where if it's laid out somewhere that this is that light. It might be. It might be that pours into the chalim. It's not sun. Right. There's uh, there's this wonderful wonderful book, God and the Big Bang. Um, by Danny Matt. You, it is a wonderful book, and um, if we have time, because we're already, we're already wow. So, um, but he talks about this this ore being energy, right? That it, it, it there's lots of light that we don't see, right? And um, you know, and so he talks he talks in those terms that it makes he he lays the Big Bang. O- he lays this story over the Big Bang, right, in this really beautiful, beautiful way, um, and that this is the light that, you know, it's about the stuff that happens in the billionth of a second after the Big Bang, right? Now, nobody, including the Big Bang, has a theory about what caused the Big Bang, right? Nobody knows. Every, all we can do is go back to a billionth of a second after that. There is lots of now theories about what might have been before, what tohu vavohu means, but... That's not part of the Big Bang Theory. Well, modern cosmologists, including uh, Stephen Hawking, who's uh, written a recent book about the Big Bang was caused out of nothing, sort of a quantum fluctuation, which I won't go into now. But, <laughs> oh, but um, so it could be created for nothing, from nothing. So they have theories on how. Right. So my my only point, yeah, right. They, and there are conflicting theories well, about what science. preceded, right? Exactly. So cosmologists do not have any consensus whatsoever on what that was. Hawking has his, and that brilliant other one has theirs, and right. And I don't understand half of them. It so it doesn't matter. But um, to me, so much. But what I know is that they are arguing about it because nobody, there's no consistent theory. So I just want to be clear that the Big Bang does not address. Anything other than what happens a billionth of a second after that explosion, right? That, that is as far as that theory goes back. So everyone is dealing with tohu vavohu. Hawking has his theory what tohu vavohu is, right? But but again, that's that's not the Big Bang. That's something else. All right. So let's move from let's move a little bit. We get. Day two, right? Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it divide water from water. Water. Remember, we have the ancient cosmology of waters above, waters below. When there's the flood, they collapse and smish 
the world in between, right? So this is ancient Near Eastern cosmology. Remember the body holding up these waters, body holding down these waters. That is, this is typical uh, ancient Near Eastern cosmology because when it rains, water comes from the sky, right? You dig, water comes up, right? So it makes sense in that world that there's water up and water down. Okay. And we get the creation of vegetation, yes? Our third day. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night, right? And to be markers for sacred seasons, for days and years. And here we get the creation of the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night and the stars. All right. So we get that on day four. Uh Uh-huh. Is anyone else roasting? What is So what, what what would be the point of saying we're going to call this day three, but it didn't happen on day three. It happened on day five. I don't think so. Let me check. Well, that's the problem. No, it's that translation's wrong. Yom Rivi'i, fourth day. It is it is what are the, linear? What do you call those numbers? Linear. I mean, ordinal. That no. What do you call them? The one was one where it's the second, second, third, fourth. That's what? That's ordinal. Okay, so this is ordinal numbers. There's a difference in Hebrew. It would have said, um, right, there, there's... I've never seen it written this way before. Right, right. So that's why I don't like, I don't like that translation. Oh, actually, actually, it's not so misleading. My translation says a second day. So second is different from two, right? It doesn't say day two. It says a second day, right? So that implies it follows what happened before or the one before. Okay. Uh, where are we? We got to get to us. Come on. We get 24. Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every type, domestic animals and creeping things and wild animals, each true to its type. And so it was. And what is said at the end of every single thing that is by he, let there be. And God, right, sees and perceives that it is good. And then God differentiates. Right here, the animals are coming in their species. The grasses and trees are coming in their species. They are differentiated. It's not just grass. It's You should you say grasses, right? And then they we get the name for them. We get what it is. It's an animal. It's a plant. It's a, right? We're, so we're getting all of this here. Um, now what? Now we need, we need to go to 26. God's gonna gotta speak again, right? Vayomer Elohim, and God says, 
Naase adam bitsalmenu kidmutenu vihirdu vigdat hayam uva of hashamayim uva behema uva choha aret uva choha remesh aromesh al haaret. We say, God says, Naase, let us make. We have some problems. Let us make. Adam, I will not translate as Adam. Because it is a bad translation. He doesn't have a name. Adam, what is the earth? Adama. Adam is the earthling. So, let us make Adam. Earthling. An earthling. Bitsamenu. In our image. After our likeness. And then we have a very hard time translating the next word. Vayirdu. Is the our image a mistake in translation? No. Because not at all. God makes man in his image. It, it is in the plural. Right? Is, our is, image. He, is he talking to animals? All of us, the animals in here. So. Okay, what would be the very, very, very big problem with that? If God is talking to the animals, what is a huge problem with that? Let us make. Yes? That animals are God's. Correct. Correct. And this whole thing is an argument against that system. So if there were any doubt, you would take this out. You wouldn't leave any doubt. The royal way. Except that's not how... Royal people speak in the Bible. So that also is a problem. Let us make is a problem. Because now you're raising angels to being God's partners in creation. And that is that makes the rabbis super nervous. Right? God is referred to in the plural a lot, a lot during Force. So there are mystical leanings towards an explanation like that. So we have the ten spherot, right, in Jewish mysticism. God forbid you should think there's ten deities, right? It's the ten aspects of the divine, the ten emanations of the divine, right? Judgment, mercy, right? Wisdom, um, understanding, right? These are the different flavors of God so that 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 God addresses God's own multiplicity bringing all of it to bear on the human being because the human being is going to be the one that contains within it all of those aspects of the divine so this is a lovely way that the mystics go is to say God is God forbid not talking us. God's talking all of the aspects of God are going. That is what it means. Bitsalmenu in in our image, meaning this is the only creature that's going to be created with all of these aspects as a mirror of the divine. That's what it means in our likeness, in our image, as opposed to the buffalo. I mean, they're great, right? But 
they're not this. They're not what's happening with Adam. Something different is happening here is one explanation for why it's stated this way. It's our then is not a mistake in translation. It's, it's not a mistake in translation. There are multiple images of God that man is being created in? So, no. So that there are different aspects of divinity. God's strength, gvura, God's wisdom, chokhmah, God's bina, understanding, that that all of those are going to be, that is the image in which Adam will be created in the, multi, in the multiplicity of those aspects. Because the later tradition really believes that we are created with the same emanations that God has. Because you, how could you not be? Um, because it's in God's image and likeness. And that, so we also have Chokhmah, and we also have Bina, and we also have Gevura, strength, right? We, and we have to balance those just as the divine has to balance them so that the world doesn't collapse or implode. Right? So, but that's a late interpretation. That is a very late interpretation. So I, I mean, I, I and not me, that, that I would even have the chutzpah to say it's mine, I agree with the people who say that this is leftover from polytheism. I mean, it's a clear leftover from you know, the same way to home is here. We have some of this remnant of that polytheistic expression and, and language um, and that that impulse is not totally dead in the earliest phases of talking about this stuff because that's probably how Elohim comes into existence as a name for God, right? Because yes, Elohim is plural, but it never says Elohim they. It's Elohim he. So it's a sing- it's like saying the waters, right? It, it's, it's a, oh, there's a word for it. I can't remember it. But when you have a plural that's actually talking about something that we use as a singular. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. So everyone is a lot of people, but you're using the singular language. Well, no, but that's different because it's every one of you knows. The waters part. The, the waters parted, but how would you differentiate plural? But you know what I'm saying? That, that it's a, it's a S at the end of it, but it's, it's a singular idea or concept or thing that we're dealing with, and that, that is how Elohim is treated. So even if we say Elohim, yes, is plural, it's never treated in the plural anywhere but here. But I think it's the same instinct that, cause who's the head of the Canaanite pantheon? L. El is the chief god of the Canaanite pantheon. This emerges out of Canaanite culture. So if that's true, then if you want to take the pantheon and stick it all into one god, then you add a plural. Now you've got your El, but all of them are contained within it. Now you have Elohim with a capital E because Elohim actually means gods. And so, but if, right? But if you put a capital E, now it's a designation of the one God that contains the, what used to be a pantheon. Does that make sense? So it too is a remnant. Elohim too is a remnant of when there were Elohim, gods. And it's used that way. The other Elo, lowercase e is used throughout the Bible. They have Elohim, acherim, strange gods, other gods that you don't know. doesn't deny that there are other gods. Denies that they are your God, right? 
and that you have any business hanging out with them or God forbid worshiping them, right? Then you're in big trouble. All right. Oh my gosh. Wow. Some hours, right? Fly. Um, what, ver- what verse are we on? Started at 26, that was okay. the right. Let them hold sway over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. There's a lot of argument about this word, particularly recently, um, because it has been so terribly, this whole concept has been so terribly misused um, that we can take anything and do anything we want with it because God gave us dominion over creation and this is a huge conversation which we don't have time for but I recommend you dig into if you are somebody who is very much interested in environmental issues and this is troubling I get it that this language is troubling but but there's been a lot written on it recently about what it actually means Um, and there's a Jewish environmentalist group called Shomrei Adama Guardians of the Earth and, you know, they, they purposefully use, you know, this story and this language to say it means the opposite of what it says. It means you have responsibility for the planet. It doesn't mean you get to do what you want with it. It means it has been given into your trust and into your care. Don't screw it up. It's stewardship. It's stewardship. That's exactly right. So that's – and that's where most of us – no one's going to argue with that, right? Well, it's, well there are – folks who are going to argue with that, but they're not people who would ever be sitting in this room. I think it's 29 because it addresses your point. And God said, look, I have given you all the seed-bearing plants on the face of the earth and every tree that has its seed-bearing fruit. These are yours to eat. To me, this is an argument for having a plant-based diet. This is de- Torah's, Torah's values are 100% that Eden is vegetarian. Yeah, so this is pre-Eden even saying, you know, well, that e- human beings are in Eden. So the, the, the people are told in the Edenic view of how human beings relate to their environment is you don't eat other living things. It collapses after Noah. After Noah, even before Jews, it collapses. And God, God makes an understanding with human beings. Okay, now you can eat meat. But... These are the kinds, right? So it, so it, it's under, it's understood from the very beginning that we eat meat. The Edenic view, nowhere in Torah does it say all you should eat is plants. The Edenic view is paradise is that we wouldn't eat other animals, but we don't live in paradise. This collapsed. This didn't make it. And Rabbi Yitz Greenberg has a beautiful talk on all of Torah is about mitigating the parad- you know, the view of what paradise, perfection, what Eden is, mitigating that with the world that as it is. And that finding a way between those. We're not an either or. And so finding a realistic but holy, like how holiness is about moving what is towards what should be. And that is why we have laws of kashrut around eating animals. That there's a deal made. That yes, ideally, we wouldn't kill other things that eat them, but that's not the world we live in. So, but we're not going to eat everything all the time that we want, whenever we want. There has to be a middle ground. Even here it distinguishes between um, domesticated and undomesticated animals. That it's only the domesticated animals that we would have dominion over, is my understanding of okay. this text. 
Okay. So, um, but let's go back. So God created the human beings in the divine image. Yes, verse 27. Yes? God creates the human beings in the divine image, creating them in the image of God, creating them what? Oh, really? You want to talk to me about that? This is Adam. We get one earthling and God creates the Adam in the image of God, male and female. We never hear Genesis 1. You always hear quoted Genesis 2. That is not what Genesis 1 says. So next time someone whips that out, you can just gently direct them to verse 27 of Genesis 1. When the Adam is created, it is created Zachar Unekeva, male and female. Genesis 2 has a whole different story, right? But for the rabbis, God forbid, they can't say that's a whole nother creation narrative that is stuck next to this one because you can't pick one part of the people's story over the other people or they won't buy the book. They won't buy into the new Israel thing that we're doing, right? So you can't do that. You got to put both versions in the same book or you won't have a united people, right? So, but the rabbis can't say that, God forbid. They have to say, well, this is written by God. This is what happened, right? So that's a problem that you have Zachar Nekeva, male and female, and then in number two, you're going to get, and there was the Adam alone. There's no help meet for him. And right then Chava is created. Right? That that is a very big problem. So the rabbis have a very large midrashic tradition to explain this. Yes? What how do they how do they harmonize that? Do we remember? Do we remember? How do they how do they deal with this? They have a you have a female here. But Eve has not been created. We're going to get told Eve gets created. That Adam gets put to sleep and half his part of him is taken out. And so what do you do with this? The rabbis have to do something with this. They're not stupid. They see this. They know this by heart. All right. So that must mean that there was another female before Eve. And <laughs> Anybody know her name? Lilith. Lilith. Absolutely. Lilith. Hence the women's feminist Jewish journal. Lilith. Right? Reclaiming this. Because who's Lilith for the rabbis? She would not follow Adam's orders. She wanted to have sex outside the missionary position. There's a midrash that says that. Um, and she was just, you know, terrible. She would not follow his order. She wouldn't stay in her place. And so she was banished from the garden. That's who this is. We just don't have that story about what happened between them. But God banished her. And then we get the creation of the appropriate female, Chava. Where's this Eve. That God it's all over the Midrash. <laughs> but not here. Oh, no, not here. No, Midrash. So there's a wonderful Midrash that says that Torah is black fire on white fire. Right? So it's black fire, the words, on white fire. And our job is to explicate the white fire. So for the rabbis, 
That story is in the white fire, not in the black fire. Yeah, it's a little, a little harsh, but so so yes, they create, they explicate the white fire because there has to be an explanation that did not get into the black fire. God just left that part out. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. It means God left it out of what we're told. So so Lilith then becomes a demon who haunts men at night and gives men wet dreams so that there are seminal emissions and she takes those seminal emissions and makes demons spawn with them. And those are the demons that torment you, man. You did not know this, George, before you walked in today. (laughs) But those are the demons that give you those terrible erotic thoughts that torment you and keep you from Torah. That's right, right? He's he's just turning green looking at the board. So, um, that, so that is how, right, a very male-centered, uh, culture of Torah study, right, deals with their own uh, issues of erotic responses or distractions by women is, you know, of course, to say that it is Lilith and her demon spawn who are responsible. So there's a lot of people who are reclaiming Lilith, right, and saying that's who we align with, right, the one who jumped the fence, the one who said, I am so out of here. I can't let this go. I mean, Torah is written in hindsight. If you were writing this, you'd immediately recognize the problem of another woman, and you'd have to reconcile that in this. No, 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 no. You is it is it the Civil War or is it the War of Northern Aggression? Because I'll tell you where I grew up, it was the War of Northern Aggression, and you better not suggest otherwise about how that started and why that started. Or I'm not buying the book and I'm certainly not joining up to be part of this nation state. My version better be there. But the people in Yankee Town are going to read that really differently and right, they're going to say that is not at all how it happened. Would there be a bridge that says God found Lilith wanting, expelled her and created? But the people who wrote this, the people who wrote this don't believe in Lilith. They believed, the people who had this as their myth believed male and female were created together at the same time. But there was another tradition that said, nuh-uh, there was Adam, and then there was woman. But if you want both of those groups to buy into being part of the early nation state of Israel, you have to put both versions in there, and they are absolutely contradictory. You don't have a bridge. There is no harmonizing them. That is our desire as moderns. In the ancient world, you you often had texts side by side that were, it's not a seamless narrative. It's not trying to be. It's our family secrets. It's, it's our, well, it's our family disagreements about what happened. It's about, no, he wasn't there. Yes, he was. Oh, no, he wasn't. He was, so, that, I mean, and, and both are represent. both versions are represented. It's the rabbis who needed to harmonize them. Right. Sheldon, what 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 was that? Uh, what was that? Sheldon's on my side. I would have said uh, uh, God created uh, male and female. See uh, Genesis two for the details. <laughs> so, okay, so you're suggesting that this is kind of a broad general statement, and then in two we get explicated how that happened. So certainly that is 
a very creative and lovely way to harmonize <laughs> these, right? Absolutely, that is a great way. There are some other contradictions that make that, right? Here we get all this created. There we get two, you know, we get this created, and these are plopped in the garden there. there so the, the versions are, are different enough that it's pretty obvious that, but yes, you could say, the, you know, that here's, here's just the general concept, and later you're going to see exactly how Eve happened, but it doesn't really matter. But, but, but this version suggests that, that the Adam was both male and female. And then some people, to your point, harmonize that with Genesis 2 by saying, and so God realizes when Adam doesn't find a mate, that being in union is not the proper state for the male and female the proper state and so God puts Adam to sleep and it doesn't mean rib the thing that is in Genesis 2 does not mean rib it means from his side so 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 Adam is cut in half and now they can be neged one another which we have in the text he couldn't find an ezer kenegdo uh, an, an ezer a help and God is called my help. So it's not from a position of weakness, let's be very clear. Right? If I call God my help, it suggests God is stronger and I need God. There's no ezer, there's no help, there's no strong other earthling for Adam to be connecto, to be over and against him. And so there are some who say, so he, clearly it's male and female, then God puts Adam to sleep, carves away the female part, and now you have the appropriate relationship, which is not union, it is differentiation, distinction, separation, so that relationship can exist. Because if you go back, why did God do all of this? I swear it's related. It's not a tangent even. Why move out of divine union into all of this? Just turn on the TV. Really? That's better than divine union? Really? Why would God move out of that into this? We need that for, to grow. For yeah, but if we're not here, we're not growing. We, we, what if we weren't here? Why would God? God, God needs to grow? Oh, I thought that when he created and separated Adam. God's self. Like God, why? That was has been. It bugged me forever. That question bugged me forever. Why? Why? Look at all this mess. Right? I mean, there's a lot of good stuff. I'm not saying there's not a lot of good stuff, but it's, it's a mess, right? God, God left God's own hunky doriness and hanging out in the cosmics. Like, like God was this union. Everything was. We were all together. Go back. Reverse the Big Bang, and it's all together. Why did God stop that? Right? And so then I was pregnant. Then I was nine months pregnant at Rosh Hashanah. I gave birth on Sukkot. Yom Kippur was a long day. And only then, like, did I really that Rosh Hashanah, when we're talking about creation of the world, only then did I get it. That, yes, this union is lovely and it is absolutely fantastic. And it is time for her to come out because I can't know her in there. I can be with her. I, she's part of me, but I can't love her if she's 
not individuated from me. There is no division over, there's no separation over which to have a relationship. If there's no separation, there's no love. I mean, there was an abstract love that I had for her. I would die for her. I mean, I risked my life to have her. That's different from loving an actual being that is now separate from you, but still part of you. Um, and that is the point. And so I think what happens at the divine level happens, it has to, doesn't it? At, at the human level. Is there a a helper over and against him? Neged is against. Yes. That is exactly what it means. And whenever I see help meet, I just get, I start frothing at the mouth. It's hot. It's a bizarre term and it implies that she's a helper. Right? And, and it's the opposite. It's, it's the way we pray to God, right? You know, I, I lift up my eyes to the hills. May I in Yavoezri, from whence comes my Ezer, because I can't do it by myself and I'm lost and lonely and scared or sad or whatever and I turn to that which I feel will give me strength right and that is what she is and what he is to her hopefully right I mean they wind up in a tangle pretty soon um, but that's the vision right That that's the idea is he doesn't find that all the other creatures there was male and female They if they're male and female together if it's all one, just like with the divine, there's no separation over which to have a relationship, to have love, to experience love. And that's why God creates the world out of love. And that's supposed to be how we create as well. So getting back to your first question, it suddenly dawned on me the bet for sheet is two, the number two. So you, in other words, suddenly the, the light bulb went on here. So two is better than one. There you go. So lovely. Did you just hear the Midrash created by Rita Efro? So her Midrash, lovely. So I said at the beginning, all the letters of the alphabet vied for being able to be the first letter of the Torah. How come Bet wins? And she says, because Bet is two. And that's what the whole thing is about, is, right, is, is relationship, is being together. Don't you rain on it, George. You may speak, but do not rain <laughs> on that. That's right. And the melting pot. That's right. That's exactly right. And that is why I think this is so critical for us to reclaim. No one in this room is saying this is, you know, versus evolution, right? Like, right? But I think it is really important to reclaim this perspective. Because I think it challenges in a very healthy and good way the absolute poison of individuality that we've gotten to. The place of it is poison. We do not recognize our interdependence and it's killing human beings and it's destroying life and it's killing species at a rate that is horrifying and it is killing the planet. Our commitment to what I want, our failure to understand right, that we are part of a larger ecosystem and that we're not supposed to all merge and melt into one. We're supposed to have our individual strengths and differences and challenges and opportunities and we're supposed to let everyone else have theirs. And we should be a salad, not not a melting pot, right? And and I think it's really important that we reclaim that as good, that we're, we're supposed to be different, but we're, 
but we're interdependent and we've just we've we've blown the best of it away right we the the, the worst of both is what we've accepted right i'm going to be an individual so i don't want to and and this says you should be an individual right but what we've done is we've gone so extreme that i'm an individual and i don't care about any other individuals that is anti a jewish view of holiness right adam and eve are dependent on each other or should be and then they turn on each other and the rabbi say that's why they're kicked out of the garden by the way it's not it's not eating from the tree that is not the issue the issue is god says to her to him what have you done how do you know you're naked have you eaten from that tree i told you not to eat from and adam says Shh, the woman you gave me told me gave it to me right and then god goes to her and says is this true and what does she say no, that snake <laughs> right and so that is the moment for for a lot of our teachers which i just love that's the moment they're ejected from paradise is when they turn they, they're turning on somebody they're all trying to blame somebody else rather than taking responsibility for who they are so i think this is i mean it's it's a lesson in all of the ways we have really messed it up not that i want to go back right to to the world as it was here right um so we're out of time but i want to give you stuff because it was just i just it was hard to even pick for you today like what to bring um because there's so much i was going to read you a little bit of danny map but it's okay so um you'll take a packet before you leave of this wonderful stuff the one the one that i marked up i apologize that it's all marked up um, i couldn't find it on the internet to get a clean copy it is rabbi jonathan sachs And I can't find it anywhere, so I, I don't know why that is. Oh, no. No, no, no. Why? Oh, that's why. Okay. Then on the other one, um, you know, I studied with the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, and we did it at El Shai, remember? And so this is a new one, Pamela Wax we did. Um, and now this year we're studying with Rabbi Rachel Goldenberg. And so both Sachs and Goldenberg have this beautiful reflection on, on speech and speaking and words and this order of things. And uh, in meditation, we're going to get to that a little bit, but um, that this is really about mindfulness also, that this happens within us all the time, that there's tohu vavohu, right? And then we know the, notice the words that are coming up, right, you know, in our chatting and um, what we need to do, and that that creates and destroys how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, and that we need to perceive right the tove and and really start to notice what we think and notice about it, what we're saying in our heads and then right differentiate so anyway it's a beautiful beautiful reflection on that all right so i'm giving you both of those take four pieces of paper um but i want to close with the poet ruth brin who you know i love the northern minnesota poet this uh is in our prayer books, by the way. Um, she has, as I've said before, a poem on every Parsha. It's a wonderful collection. Harvest, Ruth Brin, and uh, it's published by Holy Cow Press, a congregant of mine in Duluth. Ruth was in Minneapolis, but my my congregant Jim Perlman is Holy Cow Press, and he collected all her Jewish stuff and put it in a book called Harvest, which I had the great good fortune to hear her read from before she died. Uh, may her memory be for us a blessing. 
Yes. Could, could you, is the touchstone of interdependence that woman is divided from man, literally physically divided? I think so. You couldn't get your concept of we're all interdependent just by birth. It has to be literally I mean, I don't think it has to be. I think it it brings it home yeah. that we are each other. Yeah. We're you know we're not. We really are you know, the two human beings yeah. that began the whole business. I mean, of course, in the mythology, that that they were each other, and that we get you know divided, and and that's fine. That's a good thing. That's how it's supposed to be. That, so but we're a, we're not supposed to forget that. Yeah, there's a real message there. I think so. That's what it portrays. Yep, I think so. Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning you made a simple world, day and night, water and earth, plants and animals, but now you create galaxies beyond systems in the unending curve of space. Now we know you create with subtlety the invisible atom with its secret heart of power. You create with delicacy, with violence, the cell splitting, becoming life. Filled with joy, you make a human being, a whole world, mysterious, delicate, violent. Overflowing with joy, you create myriads of people, fling galaxies across space, sow them with countless kinds of life. Your love, massive, cosmic, joyful, explodes around us as in the beginning, in a burst of light, a rush of waters, in the cry of birth, in ourselves, even in ourselves. And this next one is the one that is in our prayer book. Called In Praise. Hail the hand that scattered space with stars, wrapped whirling world in bright blue blanket air, made worlds within worlds, elements in earth, Souls within skins, every one a teeming universe. Every tree, a system of semantics, and pushed beyond probability to place consciousness on this cooling crust of burning rock. Oh, praise that hand, mind, heart, soul, power, or force that so enclosed, separated, limited planets, trees, humans, yet breaks all bounds and borders to lavish on us light, love, life, this trembling glory. May we honor this divine opportunity we are given to be souls within skins, each one a teeming universe, and may we figure out what it is we need to do today for ourselves that we might create a world in which people take care of one another, take care of the creatures on this amazing place called Earth, and take care of the Earth itself. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.